Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Uh, Matt, this is part two of our uh, chat with Scott Connor. We're talking about his dynasty team building uh, process. We've we've talked to him last time about startup dynasty uh, strategy, rookie draft strategy. And, and Scott, we're glad to have you back. Let's jump right in to how you manage your team in the off season. So let's let's say let's go back to that startup draft. The draft is over. How are you evaluating your own team uh, as, as well as the rosters of everybody else in the league? Yeah, so when the startup's over, uh, obviously it depends on when you do the startup draft. Uh, but once it's over, I, I think you can kind of take a look at all the other teams. And you can also figure out during the startup draft kind of what some other teams were doing. You know, you can maybe look at the teams that you can tell thought. You know, I always look for teams that I think they think can pick the best players, meaning there are teams specifically in the startup draft that are going after very specific players. And that kind of tells me that, you know, they're more of a player over process type of person. So that person may be more apt to trade their draft picks for, you know, players that I have that they may like. And kind of what I talked about before, I'm very much player agnostic. I'm process over players. So, you know, if I can exploit that type of owner that, you know, thinks, hey, I know this player is going to have a great season. I'm kind of doing what I talked about by embracing the variance and, you know, you go back to the settings too. shallower leagues. I know there's more talent available on the waiver wire and the marginal difference between that extra roster spot and what I can pick up uh, is definitely worth more when I can pick up a player that I think could impact my team. So that's really what I'm looking at is just kind of looking at the other teams, how they approach the startup draft uh, and then where maybe we can find deals. I'm sure those type of owners you described kind of think they're the smartest guy in the room. will pay more for quote their guy, you know, too. If, if you're not if you're not married to anybody as an owner, as you've often said, and this guy loves Joe Mixon or whoever it is, he's going to give you more than the average bear will. Yeah, and I think you um, you mentioned that, and that's where if you're playing in multiple leagues and you're okay, even if you like some players, you know, don't get me wrong, there are players that I like. There's a lot of players that I like. Sure. I like having on my teams, but you know, you can you can part with a player in one league when you know, hey, maybe there's an opportunity that I can take him in another startup draft in another league. So I do think that gives you an advantage when you do have that flexibility and when you can say, well, hey, you know, I have a couple shares of this player. I don't mind trading one away. And there can be some there can be some strength in that too. You know, if you have four shares of one player, you can kind of, you can shop all four of them in any given league. And you're really, you're, you're getting 40 offers instead of maybe getting eight or nine. And you can take the best offer based on that. So you're casting a little bit of a wider net with that approach, too. And if you guys missed it uh, on our last episode, Scott plays in 49 <laughs> Dynasty leagues. So when he when he's talking about shares and and having having uh, players in other leagues and being able to, you know, to easy uh, to more easily trade them. That's what he's talking about. He he somehow tackles 49 leagues and, and does well in them as, uh, as well. That's even more impressive. Scott, I'm curious. Do you have like a spreadsheet with, with all 49 and who you own in each league and say, I have 10 shares of this player. I have two shares of this player. Do you, do you, do you pay attention to that? Do you track that? Yes, I do have a, a master spreadsheet I that I uh, – and it's actually – it's a lot more work to get it started. You know, if I said, hey – you know, Ryan, take your 25 teams and start up this spreadsheet. It'd probably take you a couple hours to set it up, but this is something that I built like four years ago. And so it's really just updating, you know, this or that. So it's not a lot of work to maintain. But yeah, I do track it all on a spreadsheet. 
Uh, at any point, I can tell you how many shares I have of a specific, specific player. And, you know, I will use that to my advantage. You know, if I get to if I get to more than 20% on a player, I'm willing to kind of take offers on that player regardless of the league. And then I'll pick the ones that maybe I can't afford to trade that position away. And I'll just take offers in all the other ones and just kind of take the volume approach. And, you know, like I said before, if you can take, if I can spam trades out to eight owners in one league, but I own that player in six leagues, I can really send out 48 offers. So I'm casting a much wider net in terms of the best value I can get back. So you can definitely use that information to your advantage. And it's a really good way to value true, get you know, to, to get a, a judgment on true value if you're buying the same player and selling the same player. Oh yeah, that that that's a great point because if you're let's say you have a player that you like and you want to buy a share but then also you have one where someone else really wants to buy. You can kind of hedge your bets. You know, you can go buy one in one league and sell one in the other league and you feel good about it because it almost feels like it's a net neutral for you. But if you get a good deal on one end and then you sell for a little bit of a profit on the other end, it's almost just like free cash. So yeah, it's a good point. Right. I mean, if you gave up less than you got, you know, it's pretty obvious to see if it's a net win or a net loss that way. Yep, absolutely. Who, who's your highest owned player right now, Scott? Highest owned, like, real relevant player or highest owned player overall? Both. Uh, overall. Who, who's got the highest percentage? Uh, highest percentage. percentage. Two players. Uh, Mike Boone and DeAndre Washington are my two highest owned players. Wow. Like, how many out of 49? Uh, let's see. DeAndre Washington in 17, Mike Boone in 16. And, you know, I think the other thing that with the, the tracking helps you do is there are specific situations. Like there, there's a science behind why I'm holding DeAndre Washington. You know, he was signed as a free agent. He was productive in Oakland in some limited opportunity. He signed as a priority free agent to the Chiefs. Now he's probably a Clyde Edwards injury away, Clyde Edwards Hilaire injury away, and a Damian Williams injury away from ever being usable. But if I'm going that deep and I'm worrying about player shares that far down, you know, I'm strictly focusing on those situations. So I'm able to kind of look at, you know, what players do I want to really get to that high ownership on? And the ones that I do are, you know, the, the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Vikings. You know, I own a ton of Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson because there's, there's a non-zero chance that there's two Chiefs receivers that something happens with. And I'd rather plug in those wide receiver fours and wide receiver fives than, you know, the wide receiver four or five on the Vikings or the wide receiver four or five on the Titans or something like that. So it, it, you kind of can drill yourself down and keep track of it that way, too. So I, I, that's that's the science behind tracking the ownership. And not to put words in your mouth, you kind of said you don't want the fourth receiver on the Vikings, but you'll take their third back in Boone. Exactly. And maybe that one is only a contract negotiation gone wrong away from him being two. Yep, exactly, exactly. Scott, we haven't talked uh, much at all yet about player age. So how does a player's age come into account when you're evaluating players uh, and specifically related to uh, trading those, either trading for those players or trading those players away? Is is there a certain uh, threshold that, that a player might hit or just might be getting near where you're more likely to trade them away? Yeah, I think we can kind of break this down uh, by positions, and I'll kind of just try to summarize each position. You know, when I look at tight ends, uh, tight end values in Dynasty, I'll start with tight ends because they're so strange. You know, we will value tight ends like Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson and Mike Gusecki. You know, we will value these guys. We saw it with David Njoku and OJ Howard. We will value these guys almost at their ceilings early on in their careers. But now you've seen, you know, look what's happened to the value of like OJ Howard and David Njoku. 
it has dropped significantly since they were drafted. And, you know, neither of them have been great. They haven't lived up to what you had to spend to get them. You know, but I look at someone like Njoku, 23 years old. I'm really not even banking on him hitting his prime until 26, 27. And you can get him at a fourth of the cost that you had to pay three years ago. And so for tight ends, you know, I'm very, very patient with tight ends. And I think their value can be very volatile in the first four or five years of their career. You know, the ones that pop off super early, you know, like Mark Andrews, uh, certainly, you know, sky's the limit for him. But there's a lot of other tight ends that they don't hit till they're 26, 27, 28 years old. So I think you got to be super patient with tight ends. So I'm usually looking for a prime of like 27 to 30 for a tight end. Uh, running backs, age matters, I think, when you're coming in from the draft. Like, I'm not a big fan of, like, Keyshawn Vaughn this year because he's 23 and a half years old. What is his true window in Dynasty? If he doesn't take over that job right away, you know, you're looking at a running back that's going to be 25 almost after his second year, and that's usually the threshold of where running backs stop producing. So running backs, I'm really looking at their age coming in, but then really I'm just looking at their contracts. You know, these guys that are not first-round picks – by the time they hit that end of that rookie deal, I'm kind of already looking to hit the reset button. You know, Cook, Kamara, Mixon. I would totally find trading those guys out for, you know, Dobbins, Akers, Swift this year if I could get something on top of it. And you're seeing a point where it's hard to do that now. So running backs, I think it's all about contracts and opportunity. Uh, and then receivers, I think with receivers, it's difficult to judge by past because we've seen these young receivers come in and immediately become like top 15 assets in Dynasty. And how much of that is because of their age and how much of that is because of their production. So I think receivers, you know, we talked about how deep it is. Yeah, I'm trying to sell receivers when they kind of hit that threshold point. Um, but even if I'm sitting on teams now with like Adam Thielen or Julio Jones, you know, those kind of guys are worth more on your team than you would get in a trade. So I think receivers, it's really just about building volume there. I'm not so worried about age with receivers at this point. Ryan, I want to tell our buddies here about Reality Sports Online, but I've been meaning to tell you, and this reminded me, I learned something from you early in Dynasty Blueprint history that rings true to that conversation. Of I remember we were talking about a tight end that I adored in a rookie draft. And you're like, don't pay up for him now. Wait till week 10 when he has 200 yards receiving and is only seeing the field 30% of the time. And you'll get him for one-third the cost. Yeah, yeah. And, and kind of to Scott's point, um, I mean, we we can probably stretch that out much further mm-hmm. than than week ten, you know, you could you could maybe stretch it out to week two or th- or to year two or three, and and I think specifically the the mistake that that we made with Njoku and Howard is we took what they did in year one and year two, and we counted that as a hit, right? Like like Andrews was clearly a hit in year two, and and now he's valued as tight end three in Dynasty, deservedly so, but we kind of we assumed those flashes from Njoku and from Howard were hits and really it it, it wasn't um so i think that was that was probably the mistake uh, that we made with those guys and and that's not to say that they're worthless or that they're you know that you shouldn't still be investing in them i, I think you probably should at their uh at, at their new lower cost but you made a good point there scott that you know, we, we do just have to be patient with yep. those tight ends. Folks, we've been telling you about Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team just like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? 
It's time to go see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is about. They have free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and way more. Think it sounds complicated? Trust me, it really isn't. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is that it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. So if you think you're among the fantasy elite, this is exactly the platform to test your metal. Still not sure? You can go test out the general manager your, your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. And if you like what you see, which you will, use our promo code BLUEPRINT, all one word, to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Scott, let's get into trade talks a little bit. What would you say is your process for identifying trade targets uh, across your mini leagues? You know, I think that there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be players that you want to go try and buy. You know, I listen to, your podcast, I listen to a ton of NFL podcasts, I listen to a ton of Dynasty podcasts, consume a lot of Dynasty content in general. So there's always things that I hear and I'm like, you know what, let me go look at my shares of that player and see if I can go, you know, buy one or two, you know, pretty cheap. Or at least The one benefit of being in a ton of leagues is you get a feel of the market value, the true market value, not what it says on an ADP list, not what a Twitter poll says. You kind of get a feel of like, well, you know, this guy's wide receiver 52, but really that's not his price out there. It costs a lot more to trade for him. So you can kind of find those gaps to where maybe it's the other way around where, you know, the price on paper might say one thing and, you know, the price you can actually go buy him for might say something else. So I'll look for that kind of thing. Uh, but I'm usually, I'm kind of, I go in batches, you know, I'll go out and find a player in a given week that I want to go try to trade for and have an idea of what I want to pay and go formulate offers around that. But it's really not too scientific. I don't, I don't have the time to go through every single league and look at, you know, every single potential trade bait and see what I want to go acquire. So it's really more of just a high level basis. I think one of your prior guests said that too, you know, that you'll take a couple leagues and go through and say, just make a couple offers just based on your team make uh, and see what you can get and then move on to another league, you know, the next week or whatnot. So I kind of do the same thing. So do you find yourself playing in so many leagues, you don't necessarily find yourself making trade offers for the same player i mean if you decide uh, you really want austin eckler are you making an offer for him in every single league or does it really depend on your uh, your lineup and your roster in that league yeah so if i say hey i'm interested in going and trading for this player i'll pull up most of my leagues are on my fantasy league so i'll pull up you know who owns that player in every league and I, one thing i do is i do have a pretty good grasp on all of my leagues i can almost probably 80% accurate, I can tell you my teams in most of my leagues just based on memory. And I know all the settings and the scorings almost by heart. So I can look at the league and say, yep, I know I need a receiver in that league. So it doesn't make sense to go trade for another running back or vice versa. You know, I can kind of have, I'll skip over the ones where I know it's not an obvious fit because I've looked at it before. Uh, but yeah, I'll just go down the list and say, hey, I'm going to throw out this type of offer in, you know, six or eight leagues and see what sticks. And you know, sometimes just throwing it out there, some of the information that you get back can be valuable in future trade negotiations. So it's really not scientific. It's just kind of going down the line and picking the ones that I think is the best fit. And I'm sure you get to a couple leagues and you're like, ah, oh, Johnny has Eckler. I'm not even going to bother. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, some owners in your league for playing with them for a while, uh, or you're in, 
you know, I'm in a ton of group me chats and Slack chats and I'll be in leagues with people in those chats and I'll see them talking up a player or, you know, they're one of the reasons that that player is on my radar. And then I'll go, yeah, there's no way I'm getting them from that guy because I know I'm going to have to overpay. So, yeah, there are times where I'll just pass over and say, yep, not going to be a good fit. Won't even bother. Well, let's let's stick with that topic. How do you go about identifying the best trade partners in a league? I think it kind of comes back to what I said before, you know, the, the people that I know like certain players and that I know are, you know, savvy enough to think that they can pick all the right players that are how they're going to perform this upcoming season and the players, I will pay attention to what teams never have draft picks, what teams always are willing to trade their draft picks away uh, and seeing how I can maybe put two and two together. Um, I think one thing very valuable that people overlook is when you send a trade to a player, Sometimes their response, even if it's just a cold response without a counteroffer, or it's a response with, you know, a comment in the trade rejection, you can get um, every time you get a trade rejected, you're actually getting a little piece of information back from them. If it's just a little bit of a tell, kind of like in poker, if it's just a little bit of a tell of how they respond, you may be able to put enough of that information together to say, hey, I know, I know in the future this guy's going to move his draft picks. He's just not quite ready to do it right now but I'm just going to wait for that opportunity and I want to be the first one to strike when they do. So I do, you know, I don't scout every owner, you know, the 49 leagues. I can't tell you what Ryan's doing in this league or Matt's doing in that league. I have no, no, no clue. I'm just running my own team, but I will pay attention to owner tendencies and try to exploit that, you know, at certain times during the season where I think it works. I'm sure you have a lot of overlapping owners in your league, Yes, but you might play against 400 different owners. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Scott, what is your process for initiating trades? How do you feel like you've had more success with just sending those cold offers? Or are you trying to send an email, a text, a, a DM or something like that? What What's worked best for you? Uh, I think what works best for me is I don't, I don't spend a lot of time negotiating over chat. I don't spend a lot of time hashing out deals beforehand. Uh, I'm typically the aggressor. Uh, I have a very, you know, the, the benefit is, Cardi, because I'm doing this stuff so frequently and so often and almost just immersed in this content year round, I kind of already have an idea in my mind of what I'm looking for. I don't need to do a lot of research before I send an offer or before I'm considering making a move. So I'm pretty comfortable kind of just going through and sending over an offer knowing, hey, it's what I want to do. I'm getting some sort of benefit here, so let's just send it. So I'm usually the aggressor. Um, I'm definitely the aggressor when I want to sell a player. Uh, I'll go and send you know, 40 offers across eight leagues and just see what sticks. You know, I'll do that a lot. And hey, I usually know by the response if there's any potential to get a deal done, but I'm usually aggressor in sending trades. Talk a little bit about selling high, the idea of selling high, buying low. Where do you stand with that? How do you, how does that fit into your team building? Uh, you know, I think the one thing that I've noticed over the last couple of years is it's almost impossible to sell high. You know, if you've heard multiple people say sell on this player, it's probably going to be really hard to do because a lot of your league mates are probably listening to the same stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've run into this, Ryan. A lot of your people that you play with have listened to you. So as, you, as soon as you say, I'm looking to sell this guy, you're probably not going to sell him to many people in the leagues that you're playing with. I mean, it, it, that just comes with the, when you're putting content out there, when you're giving advice, it's hard to go and execute that when you know a lot of people you're playing with are actually listening to that advice. Uh, so I do think that being... You know what we do, though? We always record we always record this a day before we put it out so we can get all our trade offers out <laughs> and then put it on the net. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, I think the, the savvy thing is to be able to spot market trends and to be able to spot, 
you know, like the stuff we talked about with the wide receivers, like the stuff we talked about with the running backs. If you can spot these trends a year in advance, I think you can technically sell high or buy low based on what you have to predict the future to be. And sometimes you might be wrong. Uh, I was kind of wrong this year. I predicted that this running back class would be very bad outside of the top five. So I actually made a lot of moves uh, to shed some of those picks, you know, some of those mid second round picks and stuff. Cause I didn't think there'd be any running back equity left. And I was wrong. You know, there ended up being five more running backs drafted on day two of the draft this year. So I'm not always right. Uh, but there's been a lot of times where I'm spotting maybe trends in the market and you know, it's only going to increase over the next six months. So if you can get ahead of the masses and some of the, you know, the, the Twitter masses that are finding this information well after the fact, uh, that's really the the new buy low and sell high because otherwise, you know, once a big name in the industry has said it, it's really hard to execute. Uh, any other any other trading tips before we move on to another topic, Scott? You know, I not really. I think the the biggest thing is when it comes to negotiation. I do always think you have to be able to be pretty firm with what you're looking for. Um, you know, sometimes you'll get back and forth with somebody in a trade negotiation and, you know, it gets to like the nickel and diming point to where you're actually, both of you are losing money when you're spending an extra half hour going back on a trade because time is money. You know, so if I have to spend an hour negotiating a trade, I'm almost losing in that trade, even if I, you know, break even on the deal that I'm getting. So I think you kind of just have to be, you have to know when to put your foot down and say, this is my demand, either, either take it or leave it. And, Oftentimes you get the response right after that of if the person's truly ever going to take it or leave it, you know, they show their hand at that point. So I think that'd be the one tip is, you know, don't try to nickel and dime, be pretty firm after a first couple offers. I guess you'd be a lot more efficient, and, yeah. you know, especially if you're in 49 leagues. Yeah. 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 That's true. No, no time to waste. Uh, let's talk about in season team management. Uh, Scott, you know, this as well as anyone playing in so many leagues, as soon as week one begins player value changes, right? Uh, those, those veterans suddenly look a lot better. Those young players suddenly look a lot riskier. So how do you, how do you find yourself, I guess, dealing with that value change? Are you, uh, are, are you trying to buy young players at that point? Are you waiting until the, the regular season begins to sell veterans? Yeah, I think, um, I, you know, I kind of touched on it earlier with in season is the, the time of the year where there's the most market volatility. It's where players you never thought would have any value all of a sudden might come into value or all of a sudden may lose a ton of value. You know, a really, really good dynasty asset that suffers a torn Achilles, boom, their value's done. I mean, over the long term dynasty, it shouldn't really have an impact if they can get healthy again. But we've all seen that, you know, the player goes down in the season and, you know, nobody really wants to move that player because the value gap between the buy and sell is too high. So I will get pretty loose in the season uh, because I know what I'm buying, right? You know, during the off season, I'm not going to try to pretend that I know what's going to happen. You know, in March or April, I'm not going to necessarily buy players because I know what they're going to do in September and October. I'd rather have the draft picks. I'd rather build up those assets and that insurance that I talked about. But when we get to the season, I want to have as much flexibility and as many assets as possible because I can now buy points. I can buy wins. I can buy spots in my lineup. So I will get loose in the season uh, with buying, but the same thing, I will get a, a little loose with selling too. If I can get a premier value for a player that I know I'll never be able to get again, um, I'll sell. So I am more active in trading in the season, uh, but that's because I think we know exactly what we're getting. You know, you're buying points for the upcoming weeks and you're not doing that during the off season. <clears throat> 
let's let's talk a little bit about waiver wire, Scott. Um, and again, I hate to to keep hitting on it, but playing in so many leagues, this has to just be a nightmare oh for wa- waiver wire in forty nine leagues. So not only from that volume standpoint, but uh, just just general management of the wa- of the waiver wire. How do you do that? And and how patient are you when you do add a player from the wire? Yeah. So I think the first thing is. For me, there's waiver wires that I will miss time to time during the season. Uh, But one thing I I do do is I do play in six full IDP leagues. And I don't love IDP, uh, but I've done it for a while. And one thing it forces me to do is because of IDP, I really don't care about value in IDP. I strictly almost stream everything in IDP. And I look at the box scores. I will look at the results from the NFL and I'll look at the snap counts. You know, snap counts in IDP really correlates with how players are going to score points. Opportunity is king in IDP especially. But it's the same thing on offense. You know, you can see where, you know, maybe a player left the game during, you know, the middle of a game and you can see who got snaps when they left off. So I'm pretty up on almost all the skill players in the NFL. I can usually tell you like, you know, basically every skill player that's in every single situation. So I really can just go high level. You know, I'll I'll just go by gut feel. You know, there's players that I'm like, you know what, this guy's snaps have been ramping up the last couple of weeks. I'm going to, that's how I ended up getting, you know, Mike Boone in, in 17 leagues, you know, cause I had him way before anybody else did. And then it really just comes to the point where, mm-hmm. when do I start dropping him? So I don't necessarily fish week to week on the waiver wire. Cause most of my leagues are maybe one or two players a year because we're talking 30 plus deep roster spots. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really just on gut feel and it's just going on players that I like. So it's really not that scientific on the waiver wire. The way you were saying it makes me think that you don't go to 49 different leagues, look who's available, scroll through it. These are the top 20 scorers that aren't in the league. It's more like, boy, Mike Boone's snaps are going up. What leagues is he available? Yeah, and honestly, uh, I am so OCD that I've actually tried to do that. I've tried to come up with a system that will calibrate the most valuable players on every single league that I have based on the settings. It's too much. Even I, it's too much for me. So I'm with you. I will go and add players in bulk. And, you know, if they don't do anything or they don't get that opportunity, they may be dropped in a couple weeks. Uh, But that's how I tend to just collect players. I'll go and shoot for the same players. I don't necessarily look and say, well, maybe I'm overlooking a guy that's maybe a little bit more valuable. So yeah, you're you're right. I don't, I can't go through every single league and say, well, I'm going to spend 15 minutes looking at the waiver wire here to maximize that one roster spot. So is it safe to say that there's some when waivers go through, you get that email and your inbox must be bonkers. But is there times when you have picked up the same guy in eight leagues or 12 leagues? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then it it can be the same thing where I'll drop the same player in two weeks if the opportunity that I thought could come up didn't happen. So, yeah, it definitely goes in chunks. Scott, one thing that I think is really important in Dynasty and, and is really not discussed very much is managing the end of your the end of your roster, the end of your bench. So it, it, you've already mentioned that most of the leagues you play in are are deeper roster leagues, around thirty players per team. Uh, I, I think that that depth makes it uh, you know makes it even more important. So how do you do that? Kind of what are your what are your thoughts on? those final, you know, let's say five roster spots or so. You know, this is something I've actually changed my mind on over the last couple of years because I have found, you know, when you play the way that I do and you just kind of take the, it's almost like you mentioned when you, 
you take a productive struggle approach and then you kind of just build assets over and over and over. You do hit that point where it's like, man, I don't want to drop anybody. I have some sort of attachment or like for every single player on my roster. And, you know, I've kind of taken the approach of, I don't like being in that situation. I hate, I hate when I know there's somebody that I want to pick up, but I know that league, there's not really anybody I want to drop. So I will, I will try to carve out, you know, maybe the last, I say 15 to 20% of my roster spots. Give me some leeway to where I have some freedom with those spots where I'm not attached to the players that I pick up. And maybe I'm picking them up for a different reason. You know, during the season, one strategy in Superflex, uh, when you have some extra roster spots, you can hoard a lot of those quarterbacks. You know, like I said before, with variance this year, you know, how do we know we've had 50 plus quarterbacks start for the last five years? How do we know this year is it in 60 plus? So do I want to roster more of those backups during the season? I can't do that if I'm stashing a ton of extra receivers or a ton of third running backs. You know, I do have to pare those down. So I think it is important to have some turn and burn spots on your roster where you really don't care where those go week to week. So if you find yourself with all your roster spots with guys you're high on that aren't cuttable, do you take, uh, do you try to make a two for one deal some point or trade somebody for a future pick just so you're a little more fluid than at the bottom of your roster? Yeah, that's something I'm really trying to do a lot right now. You know, I'm looking at the, okay. I'm, I'm not even looking at the last couple guys on my team. I'm really looking at, any of the players that are outside of my core starters. So maybe talk about the bottom 50% of my team. Really, they're all open season right now for the appropriate market value and future picks. You know, I'm willing to move a player that I just drafted at the end of the second. I'm willing to move them for, you know, a future 2021 second because I know I can have that flexibility at the roster spot. You know, I want to free up three or four spots before the season starts. So, yeah, I'm willing to take the picks now. Same thing we talked about later. I want to bank those picks, especially for this season as well. So really just being flexible in the offseason to shed some of those spots. I didn't do that in the past. Scott, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, kind of assessing your own team and uh, just just un- having an understanding of where you are in that league compared to uh, other teams, how do you know when it's time to to, to make the leap and, and go for a rebuild? You know, I uh, this this might kind of sound cliche, but I don't really ever think that I rebuild. I have a couple teams that I would say I'm rebuilding uh, because they're still maybe a couple pieces away from where I think that can contend. But again, I don't even know what what's the definition of a contender coming up this year. I mean, I have some teams that I feel really good about, but man, they're they could be a couple bad breaks away from not being a contender. That doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily flip them to rebuild. So I think the way that I play by kind of just trying to build value, 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 most of the time I'm within striking distance to be able to do, you know, a reboot, you know, one good draft that maybe includes some draft picks or some trades, you know, I can get right back in the mix. And I think I feel even stronger about that uh, with the variance that we expect this year. So I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but, you know, the, the only time I'd rebuild is when I know I have that team of, of players that I know the market's just kind of dropping out the end of them. And it, there's nothing you can really do except for just take what you can there because the equity that you get by tanking for, and I want to say tanking, but the equity you get by getting those points off your roster is what's going to stimulate your rebuild. So I think there's sometimes you just got to suck it up, but I'd say 95% of the time I never have to go there. Well, it sounds like part of that, or it sounds like that happens in part because you are so active. You're you're paying attention to each roster. You're not you're seeking value, and you're not letting these players age out and and basically lose value on your roster. Would you th- 
Would you say that's fair? Yeah, and I know you're not a big advocate of trading away a ton of future picks, um, especially at certain times during the season. Uh, I tend to kind of operate that way where, you know, I think I calculated the other day, I have 74 first-round picks next year out of 49 leagues. So I'm usually operating at at least at least a one-to-one ratio of my picks. Uh, more often than times, it's probably a one-and-a-half-to-one ratio in terms of total picks versus the ones that I would have been allocated had I not traded away or traded for any. So I think just having a principle like that to where I'm never I'm never necessarily going to let a team get to the point where I've stripped away you know, two years of future picks because I'm putting a lot of risk into my roster performing the way that I project. And I'm, I'm not a scout. I'm not good enough to say, hey, I know exactly what's going to happen in the NFL in the next two years. So I think it's just more of the the nature of the way that I pay always kind of gives me a little bit more of a floor. Of those 49 teams, how many do not have a first-round pick this upcoming year in 2021? Uh, I think there's probably four or five that I've traded away my first okay. uh, in those leagues. And, you know, one of those leagues was where another team owned 12 of the 14 first-rounders. And, you know, he already had 12. So I'm like, okay, that. The, the team that's really going to value my one is probably the team that already has the 12 because, you know, he, he's already controlling the draft. So, you know, I, I figured, is there anything left on his roster that I can get? So, yeah, I mean, that's very, very infrequently that I will trade away all my future picks, though. Scott, let's move to the end of the fantasy football regular season, uh, and let's go back to that discussion about evaluating your roster. When the season wraps up, uh, what is – what does the process look like for you? Are you looking for, for team needs for each team? Are you starting to trade already? What's, what's happening in, let's say, January, February? So I think it starts slightly earlier than that. you got to know your leagues. You know, when's the last waiver wire run? If your waivers shut off after week 16, you want to be looking at that stuff, especially if you don't make the playoffs. You want to be making those moves before you lock that waiver wire run because there's no worse feeling than knowing the next waiver wire run isn't until, like, July and you're stuck with players on your team that you had a chance to maybe get out of. So, you know, I'll look and see. Most of my leagues that I run myself have waiver wire all throughout the year, so I'm not as worried there, but a lot of the ones that I don't commish don't. So I'm going through. I'm dropping players that I know were basically just one-year producers, players that are potentially stuck in situations where maybe an injury player is going to come back next year. Uh, Superflex, I'll drop all the backup quarterbacks that I was holding. You know, a guy like... Um, Roster cloggers, huh? Right, and, and you know, a guy like Matt Moore last year had a ton of value because he had a couple spot starts. I, I dropped every Matt Moore share at the end of the season because it doesn't even matter where he goes. He's a backup. So nobody's really going to see a spike in his value. It's only going to go down. So I think dropping those types of players, uh, and I do think you want to pick up, prioritize players that you think could have some movement. You know, I'll prioritize players that are going to be free agents coming up or where there's a player ahead of him that's going to be a free agent, you know? If you can pick up one guy every year that all of a sudden goes from worthless to, hey, I can trade him for a third-round pick around the rookie draft time, that's a win. And it all it took was a couple minutes of research of looking at what's on your waiver wire and making the move before the wire locks. Going from a third running back to a second running back, like the Mike Boone conversation. Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. And one mistake I, I, found, I have found myself making uh, at times is – thinking that I have to, you know, hit a home run. Like, so I think, why should I pick this player up? He's never going to be a top 10 running mm-hmm. back. Well, he's probably not, but like you said, could I could I maybe trade him for a third rounder at some point? 
Yeah, that that's much more realistic. So having uh, getting away from that mindset that every move has to be a, a blockbuster or has to impact my starting lineup, uh, I think is 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 a good thing. And like I said, I've I've not always done that myself. Scott, we're gonna we're gonna get you out of here soon, but let's talk a little bit more about that uh, that off season prep. I'm assuming you're you're starting to look at the incoming rookie class. What does what does that look like for you? Yeah, so when the season ends, you know, I usually will take uh, a, a a small break, and it's hard to take breaks anymore in Dynasty because it's like when you get to January, it's like all about rookies and getting ready for, you know, the combine and wanting to know as much as you can about them. Uh, but I'll usually take a little time just to kind of look at, you know, high level what happened in the NFL, you know, what happened with trends this year. You know, that's where I spotted a lot of the wide receiver trends from last year, you know, when you just looked at the final stats from the year. And then it's basically just all right into, you know, rookie conversations. A lot of my, a lot of my podcast discussions and a lot of my content that I absorb will be shut off from, you know, I hate to say that I turn off a lot of dynasty podcasts, but a lot of it's just, Hey, let's recap what my teams did, or let's recap who were the top 15 running backs or, you know, all that kind of stuff. A lot of it's just, I want to say just noise, you know, stuff that you've probably already heard or probably already seen. So a lot of my content from January to March is, you know, what are the experts on Devi? What are the experts on rookies, rookie drafts talking about? You know, I want to know as much about the prospects as I can uh, so I can be ready for the drafts. You know, I'm sure you guys have seen, I've had a lot of rookie drafts that start like a day or two after the NFL draft. You know, if you don't have 90% of an idea of what you already wanted to do before you see landing spots and teams, you're way behind. You know, I've, I've seen some rookie drafts right afterwards where there's a ton of variance. There's a, there's a ton of bad picks early on. And then if your rookie draft is two months after, it seems to be a lot tighter. You know, a lot more people have seen, you know, what the consensus is or what the ADP is. So I think getting a jump ahead of that, not necessarily to be an expert on the, you know, I'm not an expert on rookies, but I will have my process that I'll go through. And then one more thing I wanted to mention, something I did last year that really helped. Uh, I'll go through and really focus on the NFL mock drafts. Kind of ignore like some of the mock drafts that Dynasty podcasts will do. I will look at what is the NFL saying? And I would just go rank the players based on what do, you know, I took about 20 mock drafts last year and basically put an ADP together and said, this is what the NFL thinks about all the running backs and all the receivers. And that gives me an idea of kind of how these players are going to be valued and where they're going to go in rookie drafts. And that really helped because a lot of it was true this year. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the predictions for the wide receivers, especially kind of held serve. And it was a lot of value this year. Yeah, I I do the same exact thing. I'm glad to hear uh, hear you say that you do that because if you're looking at those mock drafts, even early on, you know, January, February, you're getting an idea that the community was undervaluing Michael Pittman. Uh, he was, he was a late first, early second rounder in NFL mock drafts. And he was a late second, early third rounder in rookie dynasty, rookie mock drafts. Same thing with Brandon Ayuk and, and, you know, we, of course we came to see both of those guys come off the board um, in Ayuk's case in the first round, Pittman early in the second round, but they both gained uh, a ton of value as a result of that. And and we kind of, you know, we could have seen that coming. Uh, and, and it sounds like it sounds like you did see that coming, Scott, by looking at those uh, mock drafts and using those as a resource. Well, Scott, thanks so much for joining us. These past two episodes uh, have have really given us a ton of uh, great info that we can use to manage our own dynasty teams. Maybe not forty nine of them, but uh, we we can use that and transfer all of that knowledge 
to help uh, help our own teams and and better those. So thank you so much. Uh, tell our listeners once again where they can find you and your work. Yeah, you guys can find me uh, on Twitter at Charles Chill FFB, uh, writing at Dynasty League Football, host of the Dynasty and Chill podcast, and then also the host of a FFPC high stakes podcast called Chasing the Helmet. So you can find me on those four platforms and usually a lot of other places too, probably in a league with you, honestly, at this point. Uh, that it, it's crazy how many offers I get where I, I can tell a offer of somebody that's probably listened to my process and they're trying to tempt me with a specific offer. So that's becoming more and more frequent at these, at this point. I can ask you one more question. Do you ever forget that you're in two leagues with the same person? Cause they have different names. It's not like they're Matt Williamson, Ryan McDowell. They're the green goblins or whatever. And you realize you just tried to sell them one guy and then they're buying them off. You, you know what I mean? Like, you forget that this guy knows what you did in the other league. Yeah, there, there's there's quite a few leagues where <laughs> I do. I, I'm in with people, and I'm in a couple leagues where I'm in with the same person six or seven different leagues, and I'll feel bad because I'll I'll spam them the same trade in like three or four leagues, <laughs> right, and right. you know they'll reject one, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm never going to pull that off in the others because they you know they see it come through in all of them, and they're like, yeah, I know exactly what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, Scott. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint.